the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic's Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's right here, folks, on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Uh, our engineer, Alan Dempsey, and the uh, producer uh, who puts this all together for us, uh, that's Andrew Herdliska. Uh Terry Smith, he's the lead pastor of the Life Christian Church in the New York City metropolitan area. Uh, he's got a marvelous new book out called The Hospitable Leader. Uh, Bethany House put it out, endorsed by Jack and Susie Welch. Terry, welcome. I'm I'm looking forward to our chat. How are you? I'm doing great, and with all sincerity, it is such a privilege to be asked by you to be on your show. I've been an admirer of yours for many years from a distance, and uh, it's pretty pretty cool for me to be able to be on the phone with a legend. So thank you. Well, thanks, Terry. The hospital leader. The subtitle: Create environments where people and dreams flourish. This is a little bit different leadership book, isn't it, Terry? It is a different leadership book, but it is absolutely a leadership book at the same time. It's just an approach that uh, a lot of people are finding to be a a meaningful new take on how to think about leadership. Well, you break the book down into uh, five segments, and um, they're called welcome welcome one welcome two welcome three uh the first one is uh welcome home the hospitable leader the power of a warm heart uh what does all that mean well first of all a hospitable leader the the technical definition of a hospitable leader it's a it's a little wordy but i think worth unpacking the technical leader of a hospitable leader is someone who creates environments of welcome where moral leadership can more effectively influence an ever-expanding diversity of people. So a hospitable leader is trying to create an environment on, on any number of levels where someone feels invited and welcomed into an environment where they are more likely to be influenced by a moral leader to do good and beautiful things. So the first welcome is home, and I encourage a leader to think about what it would look like to create an environment of home in whatever their leadership context. That could literally be the home, or that could be uh, uh, a corporation as large as General Electric, um, to create an environment of home where people's hearts are warm. I like to talk about the idea that home is where our hearts are warm, and from a leadership perspective, when our hearts are warm, we're more amenable to being led. So I think a leader is 
does a does a good thing when they think about how to create an environment where someone is essentially giving the leader permission to lead them because their heart is responsive to that leader's efforts. Then there's a welcome to, and that's strangers, stranger angels. Radical hospitality produces revolutionary results. Uh, tell us about that one, Terry. Well, this is where I dig into the idea that uh, a, a hospitable leader is concerned about influencing an ever-expanding diversity of people. So I try to establish this idea of what it looks like to, to create home in, in any leadership context. But then I try to move beyond that into what it's like to welcome people who haven't been welcomed before to whatever it is you're doing. So there's this great passage in Hebrews chapter 13, 1, which tells us to keep on loving each other like brothers and sisters. Um, the, the Greek word there, Philadelphia, is what's translated as brotherly love or to love each other as brothers and sisters. I like to talk about that representing what we do at home. But then Hebrews 13, 2 says that we also can't forget to entertain strangers because when we're hospitable to strangers, we often find we're entertaining angels unaware. So I, I talk about uh, how that we need to move from Philadelphia to Philoxenia. Philoxenia is the Greek word that's translated hospitable to strangers or to entertain strangers. And I think one of the things that leaders are doing, they're not just thinking about who's there, they're thinking about who isn't there. How do we invite more people to the table so that we can exercise influence? And when we are influencing an ever-expanding diversity of people, we often find that people who seemed strange to us begin to play a key role in what we're doing. This is why I say we need to see an angel in every stranger. And, and I would just say when, I, when I'm talking about a stranger there, that can mean all kinds of things. But essentially, a stranger is anyone who is strange to you or to whom you are strange. And so I think that welcoming the stranger is a key part of how we multiply our influence. I want you to now, Terry, move to the third welcome, dreams. Head full of dreams. Anything is possible in your area of destiny. Dream challenge. Uh, what does all that mean? Well, I, I like to say that a hospitable leader is hospitable to people and their dreams. A lot of leadership efforts feel to the people who are being led as if the reason the leader is leading is so that the leader's dreams can come true, or so that the dreams of the organization that's being led can come true. Well, I don't think that that's hospitable leadership. I think that a hospitable leader cares first about the dreams of his or her followers. That could be a mom uh, in, in her relationship with a teenage child, or that could be an executive uh, in his or her relationship with a junior executive. It's an amazing thing when people know that you are fully invested in their dreams while at the same time asking them to invest in your dreams or the dreams of the organization. It's an amazing thing what happens there. And um, when people know that you, you're hospitable to their dreams, well, they, they are more likely then to be fully invested in whatever the dream is you're trying to inspire them to. I, I might mention as well 
you use the term area of destiny. Area of destiny is uh, one of the big ideas of this book, and it, it's it's about how that a hospitable leader tries to help the people they're leading find their place in this world, which I call area of destiny. And you mentioned a moment ago Jack and Susie Welch. Jack and Susie, in their most recent book called Leadership MBA, they actually have a chapter on area of destiny based on my idea, and it's part of how we've made a connection around some of this. Uh, Susie calls this the best, as the former uh, editor of the Harvard Business Review and the career expert on the Today Show, she calls this one of the best career ideas she's ever heard. I encourage the parents to think in this regard that a whole lot of what we're called to do as parents is to help our children find their place in this world, and I encourage it for leaders of all stripes. My guest is Terry Smith. He's in New York City, author of The Hospitable Leader. Uh, by the way, we got to take a break here in a little bit, Terry. But I'm fascinated uh, by churches in New York City. Uh, your church, of course, the Life Christian Church in the New York City metropolitan area, 27 years. What's going on in the church world of New York? Well, that's a that's a great question, Pat. Um, and, and I think there's a, a nice answer to that. When, when I first came 27 years ago, this area had already entered what a lot of people are frighteningly calling the post-Christian era. I'd prefer to call it a pre-Christian era. But this New York City was well into that. And 27 years ago, there were not very many churches of size or influence in the city at that time. Uh, over... Over these many years, though, there are more and more churches thriving, growing, reaching a, a diversity of people, actually exerting more influence. And so I think the story of the New York City church writ large over the last uh, quarter of a century is a really positive one. And I could point you to more and more churches that I think uh, followers of Jesus all over the globe would be proud of in terms of how Jesus is being represented in this part of the world. Author Terry Smith is with us, The Hospitable Leader, the name of his book. Uh, we've got more with Terry uh, right after these messages here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Terry Smith, uh, author of The Hospitable Leaders, our guest. Terry, I do want to just pick up on one thread uh, that you talked about before the break there. Um, you mentioned 27 years ago and so forth. Why is it uh, that so much good and many different exciting things are happening in New York City. What What's triggered this? Well, I, I could point to several things. I'm, I'm not sure that I have the answer to that, but I could point to several things. One of one of them is, is uh, a little bit before my time, just a couple of years before my time, a small group of pastors got together from a, a variety of denominations and started praying together in, in in cooperation with Concerts of Prayer, Greater New York. 
mm-hmm. and that uh, developed into I joined that early on, probably 25 years ago when it was still a relatively small group, and I really believe that that group, having prayed together for all these many years to where in January we'll have our annual retreat and there'll be hundreds of pastors and leaders there for two or three days of prayer. I believe that that's impacted the climate of the city, and it's also created a unity among churches that have allowed some uh, of the leaders who have become cultural influencers to um, have entree into the city in a way that, that hadn't been before. People like, let's say, Tim Keller would be a great example of that. Uh, Tim's been involved in this in this movement of unity, and uh, uh, and then at the same time, there's a, there's been an environment here that's been created in the church that's been very welcoming for church planters, and especially since 9/11, there have been so many churches planted. So there are statistics like um, 27 years ago. Uh, Manhattan, south of Times Square, had less than one-half of one percent of its population as evangelicals. That's now four or five percent. Now, when you think about, you know, the the, the numbers we're talking about, you, you know, four percent of millions is a pretty significant number. So th- there's, th- there's a good news story about what's happening in the New York City church. I want to get back to your book, Terry, and uh, pick up on the fourth topic. Uh, you call it communication, uh, grace and truth. People are opportunities, communication champion, the usefulness of beautiful things. Uh, can you uh, dive into all that for us? Sure. Probably part of what I should have said at the very outset is, One of the things that our church is most known for here in this suburb of New York City called West Orange, New Jersey, and now a new campus in Paramus, New Jersey, is our incredible diversity. So uh, the Life Christian Church does not have a dominant racial group. Um, We have people attending from, last I saw, 186 zip codes, 132 distinct communities. We are rich and poor, very highly educated not so educated, um, just uh, we're from a variety of denominations, lots of unchurched people who've become followers of Jesus, a lot of Jews who've declared Jesus as their Messiah. Well, this diversity demands a—and and, and so so my book, The Hospitable Leader, is an attempt to explain how we created an environment where all those different kinds of people would feel welcome. And key to that is the way we communicate. And uh, I, I, you know, without having a, a lot of time, I would say probably the most important part of that is learning, like Jesus, to be full of grace and truth. I believe with all my heart that the church does itself no good by compromising the the life transforming, eternity transforming power of the gospel, and um, we we are required to speak truth. But the, the question is, especially in, a, in an environment like the New York City metropolitan area, how do you speak truth in a way where people will receive it? So I talk about hospitable communication. I create an environment in which people feel welcomed. And when they feel welcomed, when their hearts are warm, 
when 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 we see the angel in every stranger, when we care about their dreams, well then you you've created an environment where you can speak truth in a way that people will hear and respond to. It's time now to get into this fifth piece, and uh, you call it feast, Terry. Enjoy life. Happiness creates conditions for success. Always hope for more. Uh, what can you tell us about feasts? Well, so the hospitable leader, the hospitable leader is Jesus. What I've tried to do is study the leadership methodology methodology of Jesus and extrapolate principles that can be applied into any present leadership context. Jesus was the most effective leader who ever lived, and um, he led in, a, in an hospitable in, uh, context over and over and over. Again, not time to get into it, but the book details this at great length, from the wedding feast at Cana through the Last Supper uh, to his post-reconciliation breakfast with Peter. Jesus is constantly at dinner, going to dinner, coming home from dinner, being criticized because of who he had dinner with, and so on. Well, one of the ways Jesus described his leadership domain is like this. He said, the kingdom of God is like a feast that a king threw for his son. And I think that's a wonderful metaphor for the leadership style of Jesus. And I've asked the question, what would it be like if everyone in our leadership domain felt as if they were that they were at a feast that that the leader had prepared for them, our children, our customers, our employees, our congregants, our students, our stockholders, our teams, what if we were throwing a feast for these people? Well, in the final welcome of the hospitable leader, I then say, if we're going to throw a feast, we have to live a feast, and I talk then about the internal state of the leader and how that the leader has to cultivate high levels of hope. They have to be basically happy people because as a leader, their, their state of being is contagious among their followers. So um, to, to throw a feast, we have to live a feast. And I kind of detail what that looks like in the hospital leader. You um, talk a lot about the power of hope, Terry. Uh, why is hope so important in this whole discussion? The Apostle Paul in Romans 5 said, we are happy because of the hope we have to share in God's glory. And I talk about how that the key to happiness is hope, and that we can practice the discipline of hope in spite of anything going on around us. And when, when we live in a hopeful condition, then we are basically happy people. And then when we're happy people, well, happiness has been proven in a lot of the work that's been done recently in the social sciences to be a precursor for success. And I'm especially interested in creating leadership environments that people want to be in. So if a parent is basically unhappy, the way that that affects that parent's child is according to all the research it's it's terrible so that parent a parent has to practice the discipline of hope so that they experience happiness in their lives so that the domain in which they lead which in this case would be the home is a is a happy place it needs to feel like a feast to that child and so on 
Terry, if we were to visit your church, the Life Christian Church, uh, what would we experience? Well, first of all, you would you would drive up uh, on to a beautiful uh, eight acre campus, thirteen miles from Times Square. Um, we've been blessed to be able to develop uh, one of the more beautiful church campuses in the New York City metropolitan area, and it's very, very warm and welcoming. That's a big part of hospitality. But I think also you would experience a spiritual climate, an emotional climate, an attitudinal climate, a communicative climate that is inviting and welcoming and transformative. Terry, I'm uh, also curious about this, uh, this discussion we're having about hospitable leadership. Uh, how can that be transposed, I guess, into our marriages and parenthood? Well, that's a great question. So this, there are a lot of very clear implications around hospitable leadership in the home, especially as it concerns the relationship between parent and child. And I talk a lot about that in the book. I think the most important leadership responsibility in our society is probably the role of a mom and a dad. We And, and, and I think parents need to learn some of the classic soft leadership skills in order to, to create an environment where their kids are, are, are doing the right things because their parents are inspiring them to do it from good leadership bases as opposed to dictating in some authoritative style. And I think parents should have authority in the home, of course. As it concerns marriage, some of these principles apply. For instance, uh, in, in kind of a strange way, when I talk about welcoming the stranger, I make the point that sometimes that may be your spouse. I mean, as John Gray said, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. And let's face the fact that uh, the differences between men and women, thank God, are, are uh, legendary. And w- when, when someone creates an environment that is hospitable to the uniqueness of the person they're living with, um, it's amazing what results what is your counsel about getting young people excited about going to church and living for the Lord oh you have to create an environment that they want to be in I mean this is you know part of the whole thing of of, uh, hospitable leadership is it's incumbent on the leader to create an environment in whatever leadership context they're in that the people they're trying to lead actually want to be in. And so someone who's uh, engaged in, in a positive youth ministry, which we're very, very blessed to have here at the Life Christian Church in West Orange, New Jersey, they're paying a lot of attention to environmental conditions and creating a, a climate that kids want to hang out in. I often say you can't influence someone who isn't at the table. And the hospitable leader's thinking about, how do I get people to the table? And when I get them to the table, what do they feel when they're there? And now, when I, when I get their hearts warm, when I'm hospitable to who they are as, an, as a person, when I care about their dreams, now 
I can speak truth to them. And so I, I, I don't think there's enough attention paid to the, to the hospitable environment. And maybe in some cases, when, when some uh, youth ministries pay attention to the hospitable environment, then they think that they, they can't speak truth because that will run the kids away. Well, I think that a hospitable environment should create a climate for truth to be spoken because it's truth that sets people free. What should people take from this book and our discussion? When we practice hospitable leadership, we are given permission by our followers to lead them. And it's it's a beautiful thing when people are being led by someone they want to follow. And um, we also are multiplying our ability to influence because a hospitable leader is, is welcoming people who haven't been welcomed before. And, and therefore, um, there are more people engaged in whatever it is we're doing. I'm so glad we could visit, Terry. Your book is... Uh significant and uh, oh, that thank en- you that so en- much that endorsement by the welches is uh, is strong and uh i wish you nothing but the best terry well thank you can i invite your listeners to uh, our hospitable leader community absolutely yeah that would be yeah, there's a sp- fabulous go ahead yeah there's a special section on my website for your listeners pat mm-hmm. if someone would visit terryasmith.com forward slash pat they can learn more about the book they can learn about the hospitable community they can get a free preview of the book they can order the book of course the book can be ordered wherever books are sold but uh, i think people would really enjoy visiting terryasmith.com forward slash pat terrific thank you terry we got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, it's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Terry Smith with us in that first segment from New York City, talking about his book, The Hospitable Leader. Uh, Jason Cruz joins us uh, from his home, his office in uh, Tennessee, uh, in the thick of it. Uh, That's the name of his book, In the Thick of It, Raising Sons to be Men of Unyielding Conviction in a Culture of Confusion. Jason, so nice of you to join me. I hope you're well. Well, thank you, Pat. I love, uh, got some friends in Florida, so uh, that's a good thing. And it's football season, so. Good for uh, you. Alive and well in the SEC. Shiloh Run Press put the book on an imprint of Barber Publishing. Author and former TV host, Jason Cruz challenges men to be intentional about raising boys to be men of God in a spiritually hostile world. Uh, does that statement summarize what you've written here, Jason? Yeah, Pat, it really does. It it's just, it, it, my, it was kind of my response to what I've seen, you know, in the last many years. You know, I'm 
in my mid-40s, and, and honestly, the, the country that I was born in is not the country that, I, you know, I live in. And, and I, you know, every generation can say that. I mean, things change. But at the same time, I don't, I think, I think we are in an unprecedented season of American history where uh, the culture of manhood is literally, uh, is, is even in many ways trying to be redefined as, as what does it even mean to, to physically, anatomically be a male. So it, it's, it's confusion that we've never seen before. You open your book with a chapter called Divided Loyalties. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, you know, the idea of uh, is simply this. If, if you're going to have sons, and, and this book is not a complex read. I mean, you could put this in the hands of a CEO or a guy who is just entering into, you know, uh, uh, being a dad. Uh, and it, it, it doesn't, it's not a, a deep, huge theological read. It is a street-level theological, you know, practical biblical survival guide on just getting your head right. And that, that's what I would mean by divided look, is get, getting your head clear. Because we live in a world now where you're going to have to choose, as the verse says, choose this day who you will serve. You're, we're just going to have to do that because pop culture is is leaning so hard uh, on on the modern on the modern dad that you're going to have to you know we, we live in a biblically illiterate society and and so therefore it's it's constantly coming at us of everything that we believe as followers of Jesus. It's not only being questioned, it's being ridiculed, and that's nothing new. I mean that, that's nothing new, but now it's even ridiculed in a hostile way, and you're just going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose who who is going to be the authority over how you raise your son. Is it going to be pop culture, or is it going to be the Word of God? And, and that sounds very simple, but on a daily basis, that's that's a, a tough and constant decision you're going to have to make. The second topic uh, that you get into, the Judgment Day of Popular Opinion, uh, what does that mean? Yeah, that, that kind of flows out of that same idea that, you know, when you look at what what is seemingly important versus what is eternally important, those two things often conflict. There's a place in the book I, I think I, I, I kind of say it this way. When I die, I'm not going to stand before Oprah. I'm not going to stand before Matt Lauer. I'm not going to stand before Jimmy Fallon. I'm not going to stand before any sitting president. I'm not even going to stand in front of the Secretary of Education. I'm going to stand in front of a holy God. And that's going to be the deciding factor of, therefore, if I'm going to stand before God, that must dictate how I raise my son. Pop culture changes with the wind, but the Lord never changes. And therefore, I've I've simply got to parent accordingly. I want you to move to the third topic, redefining the goal. Uh, why is that important? Redefining the goal of manhood, that, that, that really comes from the, the, me looking back on how my dad raised me. You know, Pat, my, my, dad, uh, my dad's goal was not to be my best friend. It wasn't. 
Now, you know, my dad and I are as close as possible. I mean, I, I have a great father, and I had a great father. My dad and I are as tight as can be. But my dad's goal in life wasn't to just be my hangout buddy. My dad had a responsibility to raise a man, and therefore he did. And that was that. that's what we tackle in that chapter is understanding what your agenda is. How's your dad doing now? Oh, my dad is a granddad, so... You know, he is in retirement. My dad's a retired PGA golf pro, and and um, we owned a hunting and fishing store growing up. And so I got to be around real men, and my dad is a real man. And so uh, he's, you know, it, it, he's doing fine. And he is, um, it, it is difficult watching your dad get older. You know, um, that's something that all of my buddies, we, we talk about from time to time, watching this man of steel, you know, start to slow down more. And, and gosh, that's uh that's a, that's a playbook I think that we all need. <laughs> it's not easy. Uh, the next topic, and my guest is Jason Cruz talking about his book, In the Thick of It, Culture and Plumb Lines. Uh, what does that mean? Well, in that chapter, I talk a little bit about the Shema. And, um, you know, hear, O Lord, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And you will, you know, you will live out the law of God. You will live out, put it on, on the front of your heart, on the front of your mind. And, and that plumb line is something we have to keep in front of us. It, it's a call to looking at biblical standards of what does it mean to raise your sons with a biblical worldview. And that's something that's super critical to me. I, I work hard for my sons to, to have... Um, to, to, to have an idea of what it means to look at their world through eternal eyes. I want you to explain to us what my sons deserve from me. Uh, you know, that, that idea in, in, in the thick of it uh, is that my sons deserve from me a dad who is committed himself to biblical manhood that he's not passive, that he has convictions, and that those convictions, my sons, I mean, I owe them that. I owe them uh, a game plan. I owe them having, you know, I don't want my sons to grow up and just hopefully, you know, hopefully they'll become men of God. Hope is not a strategy. And you can't just hope. In a world that is constantly coming at your sons, you can't just hope that it's going to work out. Uh, You know, I even cover things in there about, practical aspects of, I remember one day teaching my son how to shake a hand, you know, that, that I realized, you know, I don't know that I've ever taught him what a handshake does, what it's for, and how, and, and what does it mean to, to shake a man's hand? And, and it's little things like that that is, is looking at class and honor and responsibility, and my son deserves a dad that, that has a game plan in mind. That, that's, that's what I was getting at there. Now explain to us Sowing manhood, what, um, what does that mean? Uh, you reap what you sow. You know, you, um, you, you are in a, a place in life as, as a dad that your kids are going to look at you. We all know that. They're, they're, you're going to have to plant seeds by intention. And I kind of drill down more in this idea of, of planting manhood, not un, unapologetic manhood. And we live in a day where... You know, if you, if you look back over the last 20 years in American, 25 years in, in, in American pop culture, 
Think about the sitcoms you see on television. How is the man portrayed? He's portrayed as stupid, or he's portrayed as kind of like, well, mom has to deal with him, or, you know, he, he's clumsy. All he, you know, he, he, he just kind of is a goofball. He doesn't, he does, he's just kind of apologized for constantly. And, and that is in no way. And it's, a, it's an attack on the, the, the male role in, in our world, but it's done through sitcoms that make it look funny. And, and so for me, uh, I'm planting into my sons this idea that the world needs men and they, the world needs godly Christ-followed men. And, and if I'm going to do that, I'm going to have to be intentional regardless of what, what they see around them. And to also let them know that it's not archaic, it's not anti-intellect, it's not somehow you're a Neanderthal uh, or you're a throwback to 1950. The world needs strong men of steel more than it's ever needed them before, especially when it comes to carrying out the, the kingdom of God. My guest is Jason Cruz uh, from his home in Tennessee, host of Spring Chronicles with the Sportsman Channel. And we're discussing the book in the thick of it, An Unexpected Witness. Uh, What is that all about? An Unexpected Witness comes from discipline. When my oldest son, Cole, the... uh, when he was little, you know, we we were. I was raised. My wife Michelle was raised in a home that believed in spanking, and believed in and you know how to spank kids all the time, but you know just the, the accountability and discipline had to be in the home, and so we we by simple default we looked back on how we were raised and we raised our kids accordingly, and the unexpected witness was we would notice that we would be standing in a restaurant or we would have literally I, i'll bet you it's happened 30 40 times no kidding i mean no kidding people have walked up to us that are right strangers and they'll say I've, I've noticed your son is so well behaved and it's not some amazing uh it's not some amazing trophy that michelle and jason are world-class parents actually i think it's i think it's actually something far different from that the fact that our sons are in control the fact that they're not throwing food in a restaurant and screaming, the fact that they don't say no to their parents and that they're not acting out constantly, it sticks out. You know, 30 years ago, that was normal behavior that a kid a kid had expectations. Now, you know, kids are, are, are running all over the place. You know, just look back at all your restaurant experiences. It seems to be a, a, a breeding ground for chaos. And we would have people walk up to us constantly and talk to us about our son. I've been watching your son here at the ballpark or whatever. And it gave us a chance to talk about Jesus and and talk about manhood. And it it really wasn't because we were great parents. It's because we were parenting differently than most of the people around us. That's probably the best way to say it. How did that make you feel? Well, I mean, it makes you feel good. I mean, you know, it, 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 it is one of those things that you really do uh, realize – in fact, I, I kicked around the, the idea of having this book, The, the Pterodactyl, <laughs> because we've all heard about pterodactyls, but we've never seen one. And I, and what I mean by that was I had a conversation with my son, Cole, my, our, my youngest son, Stuffy, our oldest son, Cole, and, and um, I probably told Cole about a year ago, I said, you know, son, if you were born 40 years ago, 
50 years ago. You'd just be a normal kid. You say yes, sir, no, sir. You, you do not walk. You're not going to walk in front of a woman through a door. Uh, you, when, a, when, a, when a lady walks up to the table, you stand up and you, you introduce yourself. All these things are very simple. You, you have honor. You have class. You have integrity. But, why, you know, that's, that's normal behavior. But what used to be the standard is now the radical. And that's where we are. And so it, it does make you feel good as a parent. But it also, if I'm being completely transparent, it makes you feel a little bit sad because uh, I hear parents all the time say things like, your sons are so polite. And it's not, but it's not manners. It's the, and you know what? I can have manners, Pat. I can, I can be polite to you and not like you at all. It's not about politeness or manners. It's about honor. And raising sons that have honor and, and a code, that's what matters to me. My guest, and we'll be back with him, is Jason Cruz from Tennessee. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. And uh, we're so glad you're with us. The name of the book, In the Thick of It. Uh, So stay with us. And when we come back here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, we'll continue our chat with Jason. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. My guest, and we're talking about his book, In the Thick of It, is Jason Cruz. Jason, um, at the end of the book, you talk about In the Thick of It. Uh, Explain what that means. Um, the, The title came from the fact that I wasn't about to be dumb enough to write a how-to on parenting. Uh, who, who in the world would do that? I'm not going to write a how-to. What I am going to, but I told I told the folks at Barber, you know, uh, publishing. I will write a book on what it means to be in the thick of it because Michelle and I are literally raising two boys, Cole and Tucker, 13 and seven, and we're in the thick of it. We're you know we're in the middle of football practice and baseball practice and and church on Wednesdays and Sundays and mission trips and we're, you know, school and all, and picking up their room and trying to find time to eat at the dinner table. And we're literally in the thick of it. And in the thick of also raising boys in, in, in a culture now that literally, I mean, every, I think everybody needs to stop and realize we're conditioned to the frog in the kettle, the, the slow roll to where we boil. I think, Parents need to stop and consider the magnitude of the fact that we are raising children right now that an education system and a federal government is literally telling them, you may have been born with certain anatomy, but that doesn't make you a boy or a girl. I mean, think about the gravity of that. And so we, we are in the thick of it on, on every level and, and of the battle for the hearts and minds of our children, and I think we have to be aware of it. What's your advice uh, what's your word of encouragement to single moms of sons? Uh, uh, can they follow your blueprint? Yeah, I get that question a lot, actually. Um, I've done a lot of radio interviews this year, and that question comes up a lot about single moms, and I, and I think it's very much true. I think that a single mom, I have a special place in my heart for single moms because they carry the 100% of the load 
And I would say to a single mom, the, the greatest factory that they could ever enter into is the local church. If, if they can get in the local church and get their sons around real men of God, I mean real Bible-believing, I'm not talking about church-building men, I'm talking about Bible-believing, Jesus-following men of conviction, I would encourage every single mom to make that their main priority. If they're a single mom and they're planning on getting married or I mean, they hope they get married in the next three or four years, well, that's three or four years. That, that could be a year from now. It could be five years from now. But your, your sons need men of God today. And so I would, I would really encourage them to get in, involved in a local church that has men and seek it out. If you're a single mom within the sound of my voice, just know there are men willing to mentor your son but you're going to have to go find them. They won't come to you, but if you go to them, they'll do it because they'll have a soft spot for what you're trying to do. Earlier in our interview, Jason, you did bring up that word shuma. Uh, I want you to talk more about that. I'm intrigued with that. Well, when you look in, in Deuteronomy, the, the idea is that I, I really don't believe that the Old Testament Hebrew ever relied on the temple to raise their children. The, the, the temple, the people of God, the, the, the local people of God were an extension. But, you know, that, that whole idea that you hear today of it takes a village to raise a child, I don't believe that. I, I don't. I understand it. And, and I mean, I, I get it. I'm not saying it's a, it's, a, it's a completely bad idea. Let's face it. I need teachers to reinforce what I'm trying to do at home. I need coaches. I need people at church. I mean, we all, even the neighbors on our street, we all look out for each other's kids. I, I totally get that. But we've been sold this idea that, that it's the community's responsibility to raise a child. That is not true. It is a mom and a dad committed to Jesus Christ. That's where it starts, right there. 95% of your problems occur if that model breaks down. And so, when you look at the Old Testament Hebrew, I just don't get a sense that they left it up to the entire faith community to raise their kids. The dad, it was the dad's responsibility in the home to take ownership of the home. And that's, that's where the Shema comes into play. In your book, you write that every man raising sons must choose sides. Uh, I want you to expand on that. And that comes back to the divided loyalty concept. You're, you're just not going to be able to stand with one foot in this world and one foot in the other. Um, in the book of James, in James chapter 1, you hear about the double-minded man, the two-souled man. He has split loyalties. He, you're going to have to choose. Do you want your sons? I'll give you – let me illustrate this. I really believe with all my heart that most parents, they obsess over – a five- to ten-year run. From the time their kids are in middle school to the time they're graduating high school, we will do everything we can to make sure they get the best opportunity possible, that they literally get every opportunity in the world. So we'll, 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 miss, we'll miss eternal things to do travel soccer or travel cheerleading or travel baseball, whatever the case may be. We'll give every ounce of our energy to that, but we won't really think a whole lot about what kind of son we're going to have 40 years from now. But, but you reap what you sow. So if you're, reap, if you're sowing now that what matters most is the opportunities you're getting in sports or school, 
then just don't be shocked when, you're, when your kid is 40 and they know nothing about the kingdom of God because you reap what you sow. So you're going to have to choose. And that, that may sound harsh. It's not harsh at all. It's just kind of the brutal facts. Uh, you know, that we're going to have to choose. And that doesn't mean that we can't do I mean, my kids are as involved in sports as any kid is. But we put the kingdom of God first. And you're, you're just going to have to choose that. And that's not, there's no soft way to say it. It, it, it is what it is. Is it ever too late for a dad to make lasting change in, a, in, a, in the life of his children? Never. Uh, that's the one thing about reaping and sowing, that the Lord is in the redeeming business. I get that question a lot because a lot of dads do feel like they've blown it. But you know what? Your son is your son forever. And, and, and I would, if there's any dad out there that has his son that, uh, is, that he kind of blew it maybe in the, in the teenage years, let me tell you something, dads. You can walk right into your son right now, and it's really hard. When, some, when you go to somebody and say, would you please forgive me, and you explain why you need forgiveness, man, it's really hard not to forgive somebody. And that may take a while, and it's going to take time to repair that relationship, but I, I promise you it can happen. I've seen it, I've seen it too many times. Your, your son is your son forever. So don't, don't let what happened in your past determine your future. That's a lie from hell. It's a lie from the devil. And you, you can't believe it. You just, you just can't believe it. The Lord... The Lord is in the redeeming business, and, and, and if you'll take that step, he'll, he'll meet you there. Are your theories equally transferable to young ladies? Oh, I don't know. Um, never really thought much about that because I don't have daughters. Um, I think there's principles for sure about, uh, but I, let me know. Um, I think that there's a whole different dynamic there when you look every guy, every dad that I know that has daughters, man, um, he'll tell you, you don't parent them the same. And, uh, and so I, I, I do think there's things that, that, that now there's a lot any parent can learn about divided loyalties and reaping what you sow and standards and not letting the world choose for you what is right. That, that if they read in the thick of it, absolutely. They could, they could, uh, I think that would encourage them. And I think that's what this book is. I think, you know, in the thick of it, at the end of the day, in the thick of it is not a complex read. It's not. It's, it's a book that a parent can realize, I know the world has changed on you, but the Word of God never changes, and it reinforces what it means to stay on the biblical path of parenting. How do people keep up with you online, Jason? Oh, jasoncruz.com. I do a lot of speaking engagements. I, I speak at churches all across the country, and I have for 15 years. Um, my last name is spelled like a vacation, C-R-U-I-S-E. I do a lot of men's conferences, wild game dinners, uh, those kind of things. And this this particular book will find me in some different arenas. It's the first book I've written on on uh, raising kids, so uh, it'll be interesting to see what, what comes out of that. Jason Cruz has been our guest. We've got to wrap up right after this. Uh, here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, it's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. And remember, faith comes by here. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word.
You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Terry Smith, our first guest from New York City, uh, talking about his new book, The Hospitable Leader. And then Jason Cruz in Tennessee uh, explained to us uh, about parenting young men. In the Thick of It was the name of the book. Uh, Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com, the Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And uh, I'd like you to check out my most recent book. It's called Coach Wooden's Forgotten Teams. We take a look at uh, the great basketball coach, John Wooden, and his summer camps and uh, how he went about that. And so much to learn uh, from the life of the late John Wooden. Uh, We're back next weekend for more right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, the word in Orlando. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at the same time where faith comes by hearing. 94.9 FM and AM 950, the word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.